honestly believe that purpose-driven organizations perform better. And there's a very kind of simple reason behind that. Purpose-driven organizations really campaign hard around unlocking employees' discretionary effort. And they do that in a number of ways. Sometimes the best way they do that is completely unique to them, so it becomes unrepeatable to other organizations. But typically it's around, why is it that your world of work matters? And how is it that you connect with that on a day-to-day basis so that actually the transaction of your day-to-day working experience somehow becomes much more substantive and a lot more significant than you think it is? Hello, and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. This episode features an interview with Stephen Lockhead, Senior Vice President, Global Talent Acquisition at Expedia Group. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello, and welcome to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I'm your host, Sultan Seidov, and today I am extra excited to welcome one of my favorite talent leaders in the industry, Stephen Lockheed, the Senior Vice President of Global Talent Acquisition of Expedia Group. Stephen, so excited to finally connect with you on all things talent. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Sultan. I think flattery will get you everywhere. Absolutely. Well, well, Stephen, you and I have now known each other for a couple of years, and I've seen some of the years of the journey that you've been on Expedia Group. And it's an amazing company. For those of you who haven't already traveled with Expedia Group, who's the largest online provider of travel. Stephen, tell us about your role there and the work that you've been doing there in talent. Well, my role at Expedia Group is looking after global talent acquisition. We call it GTA, a little bit like a high-performance hot hatch, global talent acquisition. And there's four main kind of talent groups to global talent acquisition. We have early careers, but we have professional hiring executive and what we call contingent as well. And we kind of recognize the fact that if the company is going to be really charging forward to realize our growth ambition, all four of those need to come into play, not least because we need to be working very closely with other members of the people team and IND function to make sure that all happens. At Price Expedia Group, I've worked in a number of different sectors and different companies like Unilever and Walmart and Arthur Anderson, to name a couple. And uh, I really wanted to join EG because it's my big chance to get into tech. And I have to say, it's a sector I feel really at home in. And in the time that you've been with Expedia Group, a lot of things that have been challenging, not just for any company, but a company in travel, you know, the last couple of years living through the pandemic. But when you first joined, when you first moved into this new career in tech, what was the biggest opportunity you saw then? And how has that carried through in your time there? Well, when I joined, and it was October the 31st, Halloween, which was unlucky for some in 2019, I think the outlook was around, Luke, my mission was very, very simple. It was to bring together a desperately decentralized function that had a lot of duplication of process, duplication of types of roles that were all aligned to serving either different brands or different businesses all the way across Expedia Group. And my mission, if you like, was to, I think, centralize that function in a sensible way and still being mindful of the fact that, okay, if you're moving in that kind of direction, you've got to be so thoughtful around how it is you give businesses still that intimate connection around kind of what they need, what they're driving at. 
I think that mission, though, was quickly disrupted. And I look back and think about, okay, was that positive or negative disruption? Easy to think of it as negative disruption at the time by COVID. But I can honestly tell you that over the three years now that I've been at Expedia Group, every single ramp up, ramp down again has brought significant insight and learning. Learning and insight I never, ever would have gotten had that actually been working in a different sector maybe at the point whereby we weren't so much in the eye of travel. So that's fundamentally kind of what I joined to do. The mission now, I think, is all about three things. And it's very clear to me. I think we always need to be thinking at any one point in time about the genuine revamping of the function. That is the continuous improvement around pain-free points whereby actually members of our team can spend their time on all of the right things as opposed to not getting frustrated or bogged down by all of the wrong things. So if you're a sourcer, we know exactly what prime time looks like. And as you know, I think with our relationship with Beamery, we've invested a heck of a lot in what we're calling our GTA revamp. So that's one thing. The second thing is just being hell-bent on our mission around diversity hiring for all of the right reasons that wasn't just prompted by the pandemic. We have embarked as a company down the route of formalizing very powerful EG company goals to the point we put them in our annual report. They're well known by some of our external shareholders, but each year we're committed to very specific diversity hiring goals. And each year we come closer to attaining them. And I say it like that because these aren't goals that are supposed to be comfortable or easily accessible. They're really challenging us and the entire organization around the hiring community around our ability to go after them. So the third is really just all around. How is it we can do all of that and keep in alignment with our core operational metrics? They look at productivity, they look at quality, and they look at experience as well. Well, you mentioned challenging goals. You and your team have had some recognition for the work that you've done. I would say perhaps not enough recognition for just how high the bar has been relative to most of the industry in areas like D&I, especially. The targets you guys set for yourself are more ambitious than almost any organization I've seen. I imagine setting such a high bar and focusing on the experience, especially during such turbulent times, must be difficult. And focusing in on that experience side of it to create motivation around how this is helping make life for people easier as we stretch for these ambitious targets. It must be a a rewarding journey, but one that isn't easy. What what is most rewarding and what's been most challenging as you've navigated through that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I have to say, I do spend a lot of time with my team really trying to coach the right kind of mindset on all of this. Because on the one hand, I think with these goals as incredibly ambitious as they are, you want to be making sure that every single month you're seeing a positive step forward around goal attainment. Around what are the numbers saying? At the same time, though, what we're trying to do is to make this really sustainable for people so that if these are annual goals that almost manifest around in every single operational year, here is where we need to be. This is a marathon at the same time as we want to get really close to attaining them and and for that to be the case. So there's a very kind of careful balance to navigate there. But what I spend a lot of time doing is marveling at the impact that hiring the right leaders can have when we bring them into the organization. 
And for those of you kind of listening to this podcast, you may have seen that at LinkedIn's Talent Connect this year in Los Angeles, we were very, very keen to get the opportunity, thanks to our partners at LinkedIn that was provided, to tell our EG story coming out of the pandemic. And that went really big on our diversity hiring. You'll be glad to hear it didn't feature me talking all the time in that video. It actually featured one of our great tech leaders called Ty Strickland, who is a great example of a brilliant technologist we hired last year. And what are some of the amazing things that happen when we hire the right leaders around the agenda that comes so natural to them? It just inspires everybody that he subsequently hires and those all around him to step change their own expectations of what's possible with this. And you've got no idea how energy giving that is to us and our goal when in actual fact we can bring in that talent and actually they become advocates for that very thing that we're going for. And I think that's how we kind of create a coalition of the willing. We will hire them one leader at a time if need be. Coalition of the willing. I love it. It takes us nicely to our next segment as you touch on some of the successes that you've been able to start speaking about the journey. In the three plus years that you've been at Expedia, as you mentioned, starting to look at these monthly goals that help us motivate and build towards things, you've started touching on how you measure success and how you create a culture of success. If we zoom in on that a little bit, what have been some of the things that have been most valuable to you to measure? And has that evolved over time? What have been some of the things you've used as, as yardsticks or benchmarks for your success? Recruiting hasn't got just to be about the people that we bring into an organization. We're trying to recruit people's hearts and minds inside the company all the time about being persuasive members of our hiring community. And so I think when we went down the route of creating a group of talent champions, that was a really big deal for us. And it might just be worth sort of bottoming a little bit about what is the talent champion initiative all about? At the depths of COVID, where literally hiring was a real uh, rarity and every single role became a real privilege, what we wanted to do was to really double click on rigor that hiring at senior director level plus brought into the organization. And we created a group of leaders that frankly really got talent that would not just be talent acquisition, but also talent management. Their role was to represent the Expedia group goals, as opposed to necessarily just the hiring goals of a hiring manager within their particular part of EG or division. And their remit was to challenge and really push the hiring manager to start thinking about the future in a very different way. So even when it came down to their ability to coach and nudge a better version of what that job description would be, to make sure it was future-proof and thinking ahead, that was one facet of it. Whether or not the talent champion was able to coach and bring together the right interview panel to challenge bias, to really drive forward much more openness around people's thought, around evaluating a candidate, and ultimately, and check this out, actually challenge a hiring manager's decision on whether or not they wanted to go ahead and appoint that right person. So different organizations call these groups of people different things. I think that, to be honest with you, it's less about instituting a process, but more about, did you choose the right thing at the right time when it was most needed in the life cycle that your company was going through? And I think that's why talent champions had, in particular, a really strong impact in EG. They're still around today, and as we start thinking about, okay, really kind of elevating our license to hire, as we call it, so that 
we are getting a lot more particular about what our ask now is of our hiring community and the standard that we need them to play at. This is going to be one of the things that I think we can kind of drive forward around. Not everybody will get to interview until they meet that bar of performance. And it sounds sort of quite rigorous. It is. But that's the kind of standards that I think every organization needs to be playing at if we're curious about what do we need to do to really underpin that experience and also the quality of those talent decisions too. Interviewing is obviously a big privilege in any organization if you think about the role that you have as somebody who gets to choose who you bring into the company. But the balance between people seeing interview training versus recognizing that that privilege of having a chance to shape the future of the company is the kind of culture change that you're touching on, creating that understanding of the roles that people play. And I know that internally, this goes deeper in what you guys do into how you create internal projects, internal trainings, internal motivations for people, and also opportunities for people to consider internal mobility in a more thoughtful way. I believe you guys at some point built your own products around this, products like Bungie to help internal talent look at gigs and opportunities. And I believe you were one of the founding members of the talent marketplace movement from back in 2014. So tell me a little bit about the, that internal side and the kind of things that you've been thinking about in internal training and internal mobility space. So before I do that, let me bottom out a little bit about these amazing phrases that you pick up on, whether it's stuff in writing or things that you hear me say and just help them unpack a little bit for the audience. But the talent marketplace movement, what's that all about? There was a number of people going back maybe now over half a decade ago that started thinking a bit differently about what should be the interface between talent acquisition and talent management. And it was commonly seen by those people, and I was uh, fortunate enough to have this experience of having operated over both, to see the goodness and value of what happens when you bring them together. And certainly when I was at Unilever, that basically had an infinite appetite around thinking ahead into the future-proofing of skills in what was then very popular in the future world of work, they started thinking about how is it that we anticipate the world of work really changing and becoming really differently. And I think one of their big assumptions at the time, and I was certainly behind driving this, was around it's got to be fundamentally challenging to existing line management that is seen today. Because in the future, what will be happening is that line managers will be network accelerators and real kind of drivers of relationships that go absolutely across the enterprise so that all of the old-fashioned terminology around that person works for me, I've got my own objectives, they're set by the person I work for, and what you have in terms of organizations is this beautiful collection of somewhat thwarted vertical plans as opposed to a horizontal effort was very much the case. And I think the talent marketplace movement really predicated that. If you can really kind of think about your organization differently around where does opportunity come from? Why is it that opportunity should be really constricted by the individual place that you work as opposed to realized and seen all the way across the company? That should be the play. Because when that's the play, actually what we do is we kind of really prize open that world of work. All of those opportunities are really seen. And whether or not that is a skill that can be commoditized in a short-term experience or a mentoring relationship, or your next internal permanent role, or a gig, that's got to be the future of work. And so that 
whole movement was predicated around looking at some of the good things that were happening at the time with the gig economy and bringing that into organizations at a corporate level. And so as the years have progressed, so has the maturity of product. And where we now are in Expedia Group is really having gone out to employees with our first version launch of what we call careers, so Expedia Group careers. And to answer your question, Sultan, it would be a one-stop shop around where employees can get a skill or a capability, gig or an experience aligned with conversations with their people leader that they connect with quarterly around what next for me. And, you know, one of the kind of early outliers of this, which had nothing to do with the tech platform, was actually in part of our business that is alive and well called Verbo, that used to be called HomeAway. And they created what was termed as bungee experiences, where as the image would suggest, people would take a leap from one job and plunge all the way down into another and come back into that job in terms of the rebound at a particular point in time. And so it's always been part of Expedia Group's DNA. That was very much alive and well within that particular brand at the time. And what we've been able to do is to pluck that out and make sure it becomes more of an enterprise principle embedded now in some technology. Well, as you said a few moments ago, not long ago, this was described as the future of work. And we're now at a funny time when the future is very much here. We're kind of living through what we had been discussing even five years ago as kind of skill-centric approaches. But you guys are in many ways, pioneers, as far as companies go, of trying things before this started manifesting itself, especially in the last two years for a lot more companies. In this sort of great resignation wave, there's been a lot more companies starting to join on the same kind of journey. But you've talked about skills and development and gigs. One of the things that you've said in the past is that getting employees to succeed within your organization also has to do with the ability to unlock purpose and that this is more relevant than it's ever been. And you touched on that in highlighting how you've created clarity for your own talent team as well. How do you go about unlocking that sense of purpose? And does that connect with this idea of skill development? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I have to say that I own my passion about purpose to previous organizations. I've named one of them. This is all about the current world, so we won't go there again. But I honestly believe that purpose-driven organizations perform better. And there's a very kind of simple reason behind that. Purpose-driven organizations really campaign hard around unlocking employees' discretionary effort. And they do that in a number of ways. Sometimes the best way they do that is completely unique to them, so it becomes unrepeatable to other organizations. But typically it's around, why is it that your world of work matters? And how is it you connect with that on a day-to-day basis so that actually the transaction of your day-to-day working experience somehow becomes much more substantive and a lot more significant than you think it is? And so for Expedia Group, just taking just a little bit of a hint of that, But if one of our world beliefs is that travel is a force for good, that should be a real unifying call around everybody doing their very, very best to make sure that that goodness happens. And that if our employer brand is all about differentiating technology for travelers by travelers, then it doesn't really matter if you're a technologist. I think that as far as the age-old NASA story is concerned about the person sweeping the corridors, very much backstage to mission control. And when asked, what is it your job? What are you here to do? To the person sweeping the floors, their answer was, I helped put someone on the moon. In a similar kind of way, I'm not a technologist, but I'd like to think that, you know what, I can help to enable that very agenda by hiring the best technology talent I can. I take great pride and also discretionary effort in my ability to do so. 
I think for us as a hiring function, actually, it's easier than a lot of functions out there to connect what we do day to day with purpose. I can remember the very first company I joined, Arthur Anderson, professional services firm back in the day. I likened recruiting to basically wearing your company's t-shirt. Every single day, when you put that t-shirt on, otherwise known as your game face, around whenever you wear that t-shirt, what does that look like around your ability to be accountable for your company and its brand with candidates? That's not something that should be taken lightly. I actually think that working in a talent acquisition function is one of the most accountable things anybody can do on behalf of their company. And sometimes it's really easy to forget that. Say, for example, we look at how TA functions have fared and have been meted out over the depths of the COVID years. But I definitely believe that, again, there is resounding value that all of us have within this function for our respective orgs. I love the way that you uh, frame the brand presence behind this and the centrality of how you are representing the full organization. I think it comes back to some of the conversations you and I have had around how do we help organizations more broadly recognize the concept of treating your talent like you treat your customers and creating the same tricity of experience across all the stakeholders that touch that. One of the things I remember you saying at one point on the front of how you interface with your talent, I think you uh, referenced it as Pascal's wager and the ways you have to think about attracting and engaging talent. If you take that mindset you've been talking about of purpose for employees and getting people to succeed, and bring that into the employer brand and how you bring that to the talent attraction strategy. Tell me a bit more about how you've thought about that and how you bring that mindset to the broader talent lifecycle. Pascal's wager. Wow, you've gone to the depths of my theology degree there and plucked that. But I'm glad you have done. I definitely think that Pascal's wager is a very relevant thing for recruiters to be kind of mindful of around what is really happening when we reach out to people and knock on the door around whether or not they could be interested in an opportunity, yes or no, and what's kind of really at stake. So my worldview on this one is that for a candidate to say no to an opportunity is really kind of turning their back fundamentally on an opportunity with a capital O around what might just be a life-changing opportunity, maybe for them, certainly their family, if they have. And as far as that part's concerned, there's a real opportunity cost that I put on the table with my recruiters around. That's what we're trying to really prize open here. The opportunity cost of saying yes versus saying no to having a conversation with us. And what's the worst that can happen? And so that, I think, is basically where Pascal's wager, for those of you that might be familiar with that, becomes very, very relevant around better to bet that the opportunity cost is really worth and is valuable here rather than assume it's not. We'll have to do a follow-up deep dive on the connecting theology and talent management. There is this obvious opportunity and the chance that this could be an amazing thing and being able to hone in on that. It touches on what you said at the beginning around creating simplicity and clarity for your organization and removing some of the things that might be redundant or duplicated in terms of focusing on process and actually focusing on the humans involved. Tell me a bit more about how you've prioritized things for your team and what lies ahead as strategies for creating that kind of clarity of focus, focus on the candidate, focus on the things that that actually help you attract the right people? I think at the end of the day, we'd all agree that there's been a lot of new faces that may have joined our talent acquisition team over the last 18 months. You mentioned before, Sultan, I think the great resignation. And I think even if we start thinking about you know, how many of those new faces were not properly onboarded, didn't have as much due diligence of time around making sure that they kind of understood end-to-end process kind of really well, 
I think what I spend a lot of time thinking about is what is the level setting moment? And we're kind of really doing that at the moment with our GTA revamp that we expect to really kind of call out some of the processes, the partnerships, and also the platforms that really need to get better and fit for purpose around simplifying what we ask people to do. We kind of alluded to this a little bit before, but I don't want people in my team spending an internal universe on interesting systems that don't talk or communicate, that encourage duplicative work and are overly burdensome on administration time. Instead, you know, I want my team to be out there doing what they do best, which is being hugely influential with some of their in-mailing. And we get some great data points from LinkedIn around our own team's performance on in-mail acceptance as an example around our peer group, which is awesome. So I want to kind of rejoice all around those things as opposed to necessarily some of the systems that were in the process of really kind of charging down at the moment. I think if we can have better aligned systems that really kind of create the might of what the whole function has done across the way and congregate really interesting points of advantage that are accessible on a day-to-day basis. So say, for example, does all of my team have access to silver medalist candidate talent outside of just within their own part of the business or own job family that they would serve? To date, the answer has been no. Moving forward, the answer will be yes. And that is very much in keeping with some of the things that we've talked about in this podcast around the power of bringing that whole team together and what happens when we start operating effectively across the way. I think there will be an enormous productivity gain there around being able to access nearly must-have talent that just narrowly, narrowly lost out. I think, obviously, when we start thinking about candidates as consumers, what was initially maybe a disappointment becomes a thrilling moment where actually they're back in play again. And I think we can really take a lot of time and process out from an efficiency perspective by really campaigning harder. And everybody needs to do this. I think the consideration for leaning into what works, whether it's providing more access to silver medalists so that more people can leverage that or doubling down on platforms that are working, such as the outreach through emails or whatever mechanisms are working, is one of the things that a lot of businesses struggle to do quickly and with agility. And I think agility is going to be the name of the game in the next six months, given how many of the world's best candidates are now looking for work with the changes that are happening in organizations that are freezing, hiring, letting people go. And similarly, the challenges that creates, as you've already touched on, moving forward with on boarding, retention, all of these things are difficult when all the goalposts are moving. One of the most common things we've heard over the last year is companies have been adjusting their hiring strategies to hire for potential in scarce markets. That's more critical than it had been until the last two years. But when you hire for potential and you're struggling with bandwidth, it's hard to create a good onboarding experience. And then you end up not really capitalizing on the potential that people had. And then when you lose talent, it ends up creating a cascade of challenges and knowledge gaps. So creating any sense of stability through that requires this laser focus on what is working. How do we double down on that? How do we onboard people into that. I really love the way you've talked about focusing on reducing that number of systems, number of things, rather than just throwing more things at the wall, which is often temptation when you're dealing with a lot of demands. With that in mind, when you think about the sort of connective tissue between the hiring side and the onboarding side and the employee side, and even the alumni side, what have been some of the things that you've tried to do to connect the strings between that to create a mindset of hiring for success and creating uh, continuity in the way that you think about the hiring programs versus what then happens in mobility and retention? So first of all, I think the very basic positioning that I think we need to be kind of very passionate about, which is we believe the Expedia Group is a career destination of choice. 
And I think the play on that destination word is very deliberate. I think that if we can't infuse our recruitment process and what we want that overall experience to be with what we actually do to make money, in which case, you know, we would be a tech travel player and infuse some of that language that comes on into our own journey steps, then I think we've missed a trick. So right from day one, that's kind of what we position with people. I think that in a EG careers type environment, we have to let people know that we're hiring, that basically their experience of the company should absolutely be expected to move beyond their initial role in due course and fairly quickly. And the reason for that is that we could have conceived from the great resignation, great reshuffle, call it what you will, that basically people's patience, tolerance, and just curiosity just went through the roof around life outside their own company. I think it was Gallup that have always done some really fascinating research around the amount of employees that find it easier to find their next career move outside of their existing company than it is within their own company that they're with today. And that has got to depress all of us around why is that the case? If you start thinking about the risk versus reward that people plunge into in taking that decision to leave their existing company, and let's be honest, that's around, okay, I'm going to be working for a new people leader that doesn't know me. I may or may not get accepted or rejected by new peers in my new organization. I might not actually fit the culture. Because in actual fact, the culture you get, I think, from an interviewing and a hiring experience is one thing. I think you really need to be into a company for at least three months to get a sense of, okay, here's what I distilled. So think about that psychological decision that somebody takes to say, you know what, I will move company to get my next career move. There's a lot at stake. So what can we do to double down to make sure, okay, that just doesn't happen? And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about EG careers, but that's got to be embedded around the right kind of people leaders that we are developing and inspiring to be really in tune and closely connected with their people. One of the ways that we do this is through what we call quarterly connects, which literally would be a check-in that a people leader has with their own employee around how they're performing from a developmental perspective, what is floating their boat, and to always be thinking about, okay, let's move ahead and think about what's next. And I think in typical kind of travel language, I think we do expect to have our healthy share of boomerangs. So if somebody does, in fact, take that moment to leave, and providing that I think there was a really good match around the company's expectations and what they were doing, we do expect them to come back to their favorite destination in due course, which often happens. And I'm delighted to say that even in our global talent acquisition team, there were some really sad losses over the last 24 months and also some incredible gains when three months later, for some of the reasons that we've talked about around the risk and reward of joining a new company, there was a reverse decision and lo and behold, those people are welcomed back with open arms. So it can happen. Well, helping people find their favorite destinations is what you guys do at Expedia in general. So it's great to see that reference in, in how you think about the employee and, and talent experience. I think the the poll you mentioned, the Gallup poll, the numbers are pretty staggering. Even more recently, the polls on that topic suggest that more than 80% of employees find it easier to find jobs externally than internally. And one of the reasons for that is even for companies that have the sort of tick box of we have an internal mobility program or we have some kind of gig, gigs available, it's not about the, the name of those things or the fact that those things exist. 
It's about the experience and confidence people have of actually tapping into that. And what you mentioned with Portly Connect and making this a cultural part of the cycle makes all the difference. As does connecting talent acquisition with employees, because at least your external candidates have the advantage of speaking to your recruiting team. If you don't create those touch points, it can be challenging. And I think some of that culture of focusing on development and EG careers helps bridge that. And is definitely something we're starting to see more organizations realizing and adopting. So super, super important. Well, this takes us well into our next segment, the future of talent. You've touched a lot on things that we have started to see when it comes to skill centricity and starting to create this more end-to-end talent lifecycle view, which five, 10 years ago is what we called the future of talent. We're now in the sort of nascent stages of manifesting that. If you think ahead for the next five to 10 years and you imagine the kind of things that will have to change and how we have to prepare for that, I guess, firstly, what do you think will have changed five years from now? Let me go and consult my crystal ball. It's just uh, over here. And I'll come back to you with a really kind of accurate answer. I honestly think that when you start thinking about how economies are going with hyperinflation, a real constriction around access to market, and I think all of the things that we will see happening around supply and demand around traditionally where we saw decent routes to market, I definitely think that organizations will need to collaborate much more closely together than they've ever done. I'm not talking necessarily about direct competitors, but as we've seen for a long, long time in the pharmaceutical world around open innovation, and where is it that organizations can come together to help crack, I think, universally important things. And it's really interesting. I think we saw a lot of that actually, again, going all the way back to COVID, but we saw that really being played as a super strength by pharma to solve a massive world problem on behalf of humanity. But why does it take a crisis for that to automatically think, okay, how is it we can optimize the world of work? So in the future, I think that five years from now, we will see organizations in the same sector really start thinking through their overall supply chain and what could be very differently around typically maybe where they have transacted and bought a service. What does the infusion of that look like when it comes down to the giving and sharing of talent? And I think that in five years' time, there will still be a focus on all of the great internal mobility things that you and I have been sitting back and having a nice cup of coffee on in this podcast. But at the same time as well, I honestly think we'll be seeing a lot more reaching out to those organizations by way of lending talent externally for that talent to come back in as well. And the good news is that's actually happening today. I think that there are some organizations that are doing that. I've mentioned one of them, but they typically are still pushing forward on having a very innovative agenda there. And they're doing that because they believe in the future skilling of work. So I think we'll see more and more employers doing that, including the Expedia Group in due course as well. Well, you might have that crystal ball after all, Stephen. It's <laughs> definitely some things that we're starting to see trending as well. And related point that perhaps is emergent in how you've talked about approaching things at Expedia, one of the things that we're starting to see in real time happening right now is a transformation of the talent and HR functions responsibilities to start accommodating that kind of shift. I think about a year ago, when we ran surveys for the Beamery Talent Index, we saw about 20% of talent acquisition leaders and functions having a key stake in internal mobility and employee programs. Now, it's actually more than 60%, which is a pretty radical shift in just a year. And um, part of that comes from growing responsibilities and recognition of how it has to be this sort of end-to-end view and that the talent function has to sit in the middle of that. But it's a very new thing. And a lot of companies are in the same boat for the first time, trying to navigate 
in that direction. As a question for other talent leaders who are having to navigate this and having to take on these these extra responsibilities and these broader mindsets, what are some of the recipes you give for people who'd be joining in the kind of function that you've been in over the last couple of years and thinking ahead to that kind of future with growing responsibilities? Yeah, I like your standpoint there, Sultan, around maybe thinking of less about global talent acquisition and more about, okay, you know, the future evolution of HR professionals and how is it that maybe traditional people teams need to evolve and, and move forward around their thinking of what they're in business to do. I honestly think that when a self-respecting people function tries to literally create new product for really great intent, develop that product to the point where actually there's some really nice features and benefits, and then push that onto the business, it's going to have some very, very limited, first of all, impact and also shelf life around how valuable that particular product is. And the reason I say that is because, first of all, I think that if you can combine, I think, your approach with a number of other interrelated disciplines outside of the human resources function. And you know, from my past experience, I've seen organizations come together whereby their mix, if you like, has been communications. It's been marketing stroke brand, as well as the people team. Chances are, that basically a product that's had three functional footprints in it is going to travel a lot better and last a longer time than literally just one of those functions. It goes back to that great and I think a still useful mantra around many minds are better than one. But fundamentally for me, it knocks in the door around why are HR functions in business? You know, what is going to be the role of HR teams in the future? I honestly think that the role of a HR team is going to be providing the right environment and culture whereby well-intended people leaders can help themselves and to start playing within frameworks that help them to achieve their businesses and goals, as opposed to necessarily a reliance in a very traditional kind of way of the HR function coming along and doing this for people. Because that kind of that that kind of we will serve you as opposed to that kind of self-service, I think is is very traditional. And at the same time as well, I think it's quite negating around some of the creativity and some of the different ways in which companies can really leverage different ways of how they do that. So there's a really big, I think, encourager there around really thinking through, is our job to do this for people or is it to create the right kind of culture and environment whereby actually there's a vibrant internal play where people can do that for themselves at greater volume and at greater and at greater discretion. Well, with with those sage words of advice, thank you, Stephen. I definitely look forward to seeing how some of that unfolds in the next year. And certainly, I think your perspectives will be incredibly valuable to folks going through the same changes at the same time, which is most of our industry. Thank you very much, Stephen, for joining us. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at Beamery.com.